as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. This is Jodie Rawson, SA Professional Education Committee member. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Bridget McNeil. Welcome to the Speak Up podcast, Bridget. Oh, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for, um, for since I first heard about it. So really looking forward to chatting with you. So Professor Bridget McNeil is Deputy Head of School of Teacher Education at the University of Canterbury. She is the Principal Investigator in the Better Start National Science Challenge a national research project designed to improve the learning and health outcomes of New Zealand children. Bridget's research focuses on children's speech, reading and spelling development. She has particular knowledge and experience in childhood apraxia of speech, literacy development and incorporating evidence-based literacy teaching within the general educational context to improve literacy and language outcomes for all children. Bridget, I'm sure we all want to know how you got interested in the work around preparing teachers to support children's literacy development. Yeah, that's a, um, a great question. And when I'm thinking about trying to answer that, Jody, I have to think um, right back to when I first um, enrolled in my uh, doctorate, actually, which was focused around um, supporting both the um, speech and oral language and literacy needs of children with childhood apraxia of speech. So. Um, children who have traditionally faced a lot of barriers to their um, literacy development. Um, I was always keen on uh, thinking that uh, an SLP's job wasn't totally done if we were only focused on those speech and um, oral language aspects, um, given the really strong connection and foundation that language gives to literacy development. So that really got me interested in the research space. Um, and then uh, after I had completed my postdoc at the University of Manchester, I was coming back to New Zealand and I was lucky enough to land a role um, working in a college of education in a school of teacher education. Um, and that role really excited me and it's obviously excited me for a long time because I've been doing it for I think 11 or 12 years now. Um, and it's um, been around supporting teachers um, to be able to implement uh, evidence-based literacy instruction. And what really got me excited uh, and still gets me so incredibly excited about working with our beginning teachers um, and in all of my research is thinking about the much wider impact that um, kind of my knowledge can help support when I'm working with educators rather than just um, working with speech language pathologists alone. Um, so I think that's really what, what got me into it. I'm interested in literacy and thinking about where I can have the most impact um, on teachers and children's literacy journeys or literacy development is working with teachers. Excellent. So really thinking about that wider impact. With your latest research, can I ask what is really engaging you right now? 
So um, you mentioned the um, Better Start uh, National Science Challenge in the introduction. And so for the last um, five or six years, that project has um, really engaged me. Um, that project um, co-led with Professor Gail Gillen from the University of Canterbury. And we have a very um, stellar and ever-growing team. So I'd like to also shout out to um, Dr. Amy Scott, who's also been a real integral component of that team. But what that work, as you said, is focused on is being around supporting uh, teachers and schools to implement a tiered approach to early literacy instruction. So supporting teachers to deliver quality tier one, tier two and tier three support um, and thinking through the monitoring assessments in phoneme awareness and oral language that allow us to do that. So we've had some really successful trials um, in the last few years that, that have been published. But um, to get round to your question in a really slow way, Jodie, um, what's exciting me at the moment is that um, the Ministry of Education has paid attention to that work. So we're just embarking on a new project, which is around um, a larger scale rollout of the Better Start Literacy approach uh, across New Zealand, supported by the Ministry of Education, um, and really thinking through examining the impact of this work from an implementation model. Um, so that's that's what's really excited me actually for a good part of the um, of the last few years. I think um, for a long time. We've had a good understanding of those cognitive skills that we know are so important for early literacy development, but we haven't quite cracked it in terms of um, what this looks like in real life um, within the resources that are currently available either in New Zealand or in Australia or wherever you are, um, to be thinking about how can we implement um, that in a meaningful way. So that, that's what's basically keeping me excited and keeping me smiling at the moment. Understandable. That is very exciting for that larger scale rollout. So you've been obviously researching in this space for a while now. What do you think the biggest misconception about speech pathologists working within literacy and the educational context still might exist? Yeah, um, that's that's a tough one um, for me. I had to, actually had to do quite a bit of thinking around that one, and I I've had a thought about it, a few things. So let, let, you tell me what you think about, about whether this fits within the um, Australian context as well. Um, one of the biggest um, misconceptions is that the best way that SLPs can work in this space is through an expert model. Um, so coming in um, with knowledge to impart upon um, the teachers or whoever they might be working with. And in a similar vein, um, the misconception that um, SLP input should only really be there or is only really needed either at that tier two or maybe even tier three um, model of intervention support. Um, and when I think about all the wonderful um, SLPs that I've been able to work with who have such valuable knowledge um, and form such a true, can form such a true collaboration with educators, then I think that's when the magic happens. Yes, we do have a lot of skills and we do have a lot of knowledge, um, but so do teachers. Um, and there's a lot that through our individual training that SLPs might not know about how the curriculum works or the classroom context. 
Um, probably when I first started my role at the University of Canterbury in initial teacher education, I was a little bit like this, a bit embarrassed when I think that. I, I kind of probably arrived thinking, well, you know, I know what's important for an early reader, so I just need to impart this knowledge and have it used in initial teacher education. But it really is only part of the story. Um, and I've learned um, a heck of a lot about class-wide practice um, from my colleagues. I've learned an extraordinary amount about culturally responsive practice and about thinking about um, the whole child as we integrate um, these cognitive components. So I think as SLPs, the biggest mistake we can make is thinking that we hold all the knowledge. It's a lot of pressure. No one wants to live with that anyway. Um, we don't know, hold all the knowledge. Um, and we... Um, I think we also do a little bit of a disservice if we are only working with um, children of highest need. Our, our skills can also be used to support teachers to provide that quality tier one. Um, so that's a, it's a moving space in New Zealand at, at the moment that we're trying to advocate more strongly for that role for SLPs. But um, also um, there's obviously constraints around um, building true collaboration with teachers and with other professionals and family. It, it takes time, it takes some vulnerability, I think, in um, terms of thinking about how best to support um, teachers. But I think those are probably um, the biggest misconceptions. And the, the other one um, that I didn't realise until I was doing um, the session with some SLPs in, with, in Australia via you know, via the podcast last year, or not the podcast, via the course last year um, that I did for Speech Pathology Australia. And that was this some kind of worry about if SLPs are so involved or teachers are so involved with tier one and tier two, will we still have a job? What is our role? Um, and I think that's a big misconception because there will always be a role um, for SLPs if they're working in this functional way. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Jodie? Can I ask you? What misconceptions? Yeah, I would have to agree. So I've done some work in schools in Australia. So working in that sort of tier one, tier two space. And I think, you know, I really love the word vulnerability that you use because I think it takes it um, on everyone's part, the, the speech pathologist and the teacher to sort of come to that relationship and meet in the middle for what they've got um, in terms of their knowledge and their skill set. But I do think that some people who are newer into the space um, worry about how they fit into a classroom as an SLP um, and what that looks like. So, yeah. Yeah, it's probably you raise a good point about preparedness to step into that space. And um, that's another line of work that some of my um, previous PhD students have been engaged in, um, Dr. Leanne Wilson and Dr. Carolyn Purvis, thinking about... Um, how can we support both SLP students and teaching students to begin that collaborative journey as students um, rather than all of a sudden um, not having that sort of more multidisciplinary approach and training and then expecting of it um, and that, and for a new professional. So I think that's something that we need to be cognizant of. If we have a, a changing role for good reason for how SLPs can be more effective, we also need to be thinking about how we're best um, supporting SLPs um, to, to be trained or um, educated in that manner. Yes, fantastic. Before we finish up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? I think the thing that I really want to um, get across is that, and hopefully the excited nature of my voice is helping do so, um, that I'm really so passionate about the critical role that SLPs can play 
in enabling that quality literacy teaching, but that we can't do it alone. Um, and when we look at good models of practice, we see uh, fantastic growth in children's language um, and literacy that I'll be able to share some of our um, research articles which are open access if people want to get into the detail. But when we've studied in a controlled way the impact of supporting teachers in this manner, we can really um, have a, a big impact on children's trajectories. And I think that's what we're all about. Like if you talk to a beginning a teacher, like I've just come from a session with brand new first year beginning teachers before I came to the podcast today. And if you talk to SLPs that are interested in education, we're all about um, supporting and enhancing um, development and life trajectories for the children that we work with. So I think we start from that from that good space. Um, so in starting from that good space, we need to work alongside teachers. Um, and we also need to um, take on that role of thinking about the child's wider context, um, in particular, um, weaving in that culturally responsive practice, which um, I think I've felt like in the last five or six years, it's been the biggest learning um, curve that I've done. And we can only do better by the children that we're working with if, if we do so. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Bridget, you know, and the opportunity to learn more about the research you've have been doing and to hear a little bit about what's coming up for you as well thank you for the opportunity it's been really awesome we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now